As you know, our speaker for this morning is Brett Carter, and if you're from the Colorado area, he really doesn't need an introduction uh, because he's already touched your life and impacted your life as he has mine. Uh, but we know that he has taught um, at Highland for uh, how many years was it, Brett? Over 20 years, 26 years. And uh, most of us know him from Camp Koinonia, which he has directed uh, for many more years than that. Uh, how many? I don't know. Don't know. Yeah, it's been that long to where you just start losing track. But uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about Brett is he is an incredible teacher. He always brings a perspective that challenges me and, and causes me to be better. Uh, but beyond all of that, I have watched him from afar and just his example uh, as a godly man and have learned uh, perhaps uh, even more from him. And uh, as you know, we're going to very much benefit from the word that he brings from uh, God's word this morning. So Brett, without further ado, come preach to us, bro. I know I say this a lot, but I, I got to tell you, I, it's a real shot of optimism to hang out with young men and young women like you. You're like the equivalent of the cool table. Uh, I know there's a, a lot of stuff going on in the world where people kind of look at your age and kind of be like, oh, you're that person. But I, I'm so privileged to know the exception, and I really enjoy spending time with you. I'm going to jump in and... Uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll probably, I don't know if we'll have time at the end, but I, I would love any thoughts you have. I know a lot of you are daily Bible readers and, and Bible students that are taking it seriously, and I would love any thoughts you have on what I'm going to say. But I'm going to blab for a little bit, and if we have some time at the end, you're sure welcome to, to chime in. So I'm going to tell you about this movie I saw uh, when I was a little kid. Um, they made a movie years ago uh, called War of the Worlds, and today if you saw it, I don't know if you saw this one, it was pretty cheesy, uh, but I think it was made... I think I looked it up, but made a long time ago. And uh, they remade it since then. And the one I'm talking about is, you know, is ancient. But basically, Martians come to Earth. And uh, these have, they have these machines, kind of like saucers like that. And they shoot these death lasers, and they're unstoppable. And there's one scene. The reason I bring it up is there's one scene that has stuck in my head ever since I was a little kid. Everyone's, you know, taking uh, cover. Uh, the army's there. They're throwing everything they can at these Martians that are coming. And they've got all kinds of ammo, but nothing's working. So everybody in their right mind is hiding from these Martians that are coming. Then suddenly, they look out from the bunker that they're at, and they see this religious guy. And he's a preacher or something. And he's out there walking towards these death machines. And uh, and like you see, this is an actual picture from the movie. He's holding up a Bible, and he's quoting Psalm 23. So he's walking towards the Martians all by himself, saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I remember, you know, and everyone's watching the guy. You know, what's he doing? He's going to get killed. Uh, his daughter's in the bunker, and she's screaming, No, no. Uh, but this religious guy is really confident. He just keeps going, getting closer, keeps quoting, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he gets closer to the Martians, and the Mar Martian, uh, Martian death machines seem to stop and pay attention. They kind of slow down. And he finishes quoting Psalm 23, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then the Martians blast him. He's just, he's just dead. There's just this pile of ash there. And I think, I, I think I remember thinking as a little kid, well, that didn't work. That was kind of dumb. <laughs> and even though it's, it's just an old movie, the reason I bring it up is I think it's a good example of how people think of the Bible in general. And I don't know if you've run into this before. People think, well, it's a nice book. 
uh, with some nice thoughts. But when it comes to situations that really matter, it's not much help, you know, as far as real life. Um, lots of people do like the idea of the Bible or ideas of it, and you'll walk into houses and see quotes that are framed and put on the wall, and they like, like the idea. And at a funeral or a wedding or graduation, you know, somebody will get up and read a verse or two. But I think people believe that it's mainly designed to just make you feel better, like ibuprofen or maybe some hot chocolate. Here you go. Hope you have a better day. Hope this makes you feel better. All in all, even those who are big fans of the Bible, at best, think it's just really, really nice. Uh, if the Bible were a person at Thanksgiving, they'd be at the little kid table. Uh, the, the big table, that's for big talk. The Bible isn't much use there. And people seem to think this especially, and I may be wrong, especially when it comes to Psalms. And we've been, uh, that's what this is all about, this lectureship, is spending some time on the book of Psalms. Uh, I, and again, I, I may be wrong, but I think people usually go to Psalms when they're feeling down, they need a quick dose of the Bible, or when the Martians invade, maybe it'll come in handy. And, and it comes, it really comes down to this, uh, people don't realize what the Bible really is. So I'm going to start by saying this, it's a record of everything the Creator has to say to us. It's the only true, truly reliable source of information. It's the absolute authority and on anything that really matters. It's your one and only hope of getting out of here safely. And until you understand this, the Bible, that the Bible is God speaking to you, you're never going to really connect with what it has to say. Now, the arrangement of the, of the books of the Bible, you've got to memorize them, sure. Uh, the arrangement is not necessarily inspired, but I find it kind of significant that right in your Bible, you might try it if you have your actual Bible in front of you, split it down the middle, uh, and you're pretty close. Uh, you'll find almost right in the middle of it, there's this profound analysis of the nature of God's Word. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. And if I, if I were sitting in your chair, I'd be like, we're going to talk about all 176 verses of Psalm 119. Goodbye, lunch. No, we're, not, we're just going to kind of skim it. Uh, but there's 176 verses. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And I'm not going to, tr- no way I'm going to try and cover it all. My plan is to zero in, zero in on a few themes that you might find interesting. Uh, kind of the big picture. And if anything, I think this might help us be re-amazed by the Word of God. And it might help to keep this in mind that even though David is the writer, God is the author of what we're about to read. You remember 2 Timothy 3.16? I bet you could quote it. All Scripture is God-breathed. It comes from Him. That means the Bible contains exactly what God wanted to say. Now in Psalm 119, there are several verses that emphasize the incredible value of God's words. In fact, David describes it as a treasure. Now I'll show the verses up here, and you are sure welcome to practice looking these up, but here's verse 72 of this chapter. And what I'm going to do is show you certain words that kind of keep popping up through this chapter. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That's quite a claim. 127, therefore I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above pure gold. Verse 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great plunder. So having a correct perception of the word is like discovering a hidden treasure. Now I'm going to tell you a story, and I apologize to those of you who have heard this before, but it it fits in. Um, 
but um, I'll try to keep it short since a lot of you have probably heard it before. But I read this years ago and apparently it was a true story. This guy uh, lived on the East Coast and he decided to go uh, on a walk along the beach and uh, it was kind of cold so he wore a jacket and he's uh, just spending time on his own and he, and he noticed over in the cliff, so like the oceans over here, he noticed on the cliff side there's this, um, there's these holes, or at least a hole, and he couldn't tell if it was a burrow or something that a bird had made or something like that. And so he goes over and looks inside this hole, and he kind of digs around in there, and he finds all these balls of clay. Uh, some of them are about the size of a golf ball, maybe about the size of a marble. They're just these balls of clay. And so he takes them all out, puts them in his jacket uh, pockets, and keeps going down the beach. And you know, like guys typically do, they you know, I've got something to throw, so just one at a time, he sees how far he can throw these balls of clay out into the water until they're all gone. And the next day, uh, he's talking to a friend of his, he says, I found the strangest thing. I was walking on the beach, and he tells him the whole story. And his friend said, you know, I, I, this is probably not what you found, but I read not too long ago that pirates, when they were cornered, would disguise jewels that way, wrap them in clay, and make them just look like balls of clay and tuck them away in holes like that. But that's probably not what you found. And he's like, yeah, that's probably not what I found. <laughs> well, that night, the guy went home, and he happened to be wearing the jacket, the same jacket that he was wearing that day. He was walking on the beach, and there was a hole in his pocket, and he discovered that one of those balls of clay had fallen down into the lining of his jacket, and he pulled it out and said, I gotta know. So he went and got a hammer and screwdriver from the garage and sat down at the kitchen table and chiseled it open and out rolled a blue diamond. And you can imagine, I, always, I think about this guy often because he wasn't dumb, he just didn't know what he had. He wasn't stupid, he just simply didn't see the value. And I and because he didn't see the value of what he had, he threw away a fortune. I, I this is, probably didn't happen, but I always picture him learning how to scuba dive, but maybe I don't know if he became that guy. Uh, but a lot of people look at the Bible and they just see this ball of clay. Uh, David is a great example for us. We need to develop a desire for the Word and treasure the Word. Just because you don't see the value of it doesn't mean that it isn't valuable. If you treasure the Word, you'll be much more likely to do what it says. Treasuring the Word affects how you live. Here's We're going to be mostly in Psalm 119. Here's verses 10 and 11. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. I have treasured your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And I don't know, maybe it crosses your mind. Sometimes I think it's crossed my mind over the years where you kind of want to say, David, calm down. You know, this is just, it's not that exciting, is it? No, it is. It's just that we don't see it. His enthusiasm is based on something real. So here's something important to know about the Word of God. When you treat it like the treasure that it is, it will begin to affect your decisions. And that's what it's designed to do. It's not meant to make you feel better. It can, but that's not all it's meant to be. It's not just there to comfort you. It's designed to change you. Uh, a lot of the doubts that surface about the inspiration of the Bible might sound sophisticated. Embrace yourself. If you haven't already, you will hear people who will um, cast doubts about the Bible. But when you expose the roots of these criticisms of the Bible, you'll find an agenda. And it's really simply this. People want to do what they want to do. 
And so they will undermine what the Bible has to say. If we come across something in Scripture that opposes our preferences, uh, we will resort to all kinds of mental gymnastics to validate what we prefer. Whenever you hear of a congregation going to revisit certain scriptures, culture is pushing them in a certain direction, the leaders will inevitably revisit those scriptures, and lo and behold, the new interpretation just happens to fit the decision and the desires of the culture. So it comes down to this. We don't want to submit to the Word. We want the Word to submit to us. It's kind of like you say, when we become a Christian, say, oh yeah, I'm ready to follow Jesus, but what we really mean is, I'll allow Jesus to tag along. He'll follow me while I continue to do what I do. We are saved by grace. We are saved by faith, but faith is confirmed by obedience. When it comes to the Bible, no matter what you're discussing, ultimately the subject is always obedience. Matthew 7.21, Jesus makes it very clear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So one thing Psalm 119 drives home again and again is submission and compliance with the word. Look at this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. These are the first couple of verses. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who comply with his testimonies and seek him with all their heart. Verse 22. Take disgrace and contempt away from me, for I comply. In other words, I give in. I comply with your testimonies. I don't just believe them, I comply with them. Verse 33. Teach me the way of your statutes, Lord, and I shall comply with it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may comply with your law and keep it with all your heart. By the way, side note. I looked this up recently because I always, uh, if you're like me, you go through Psalms, sometimes statutes, precepts, decrees. It's like, is it the same thing? What's going on? A couple that might be helpful statutes, and it's a silly way to remember it. The idea of a statute is that it's carved and permanent. And so an easy way to remember is that's what you do with a statue. Because I, I bet you're like me. Every time I read that word, I picture a statue. So a statute is something that's carved into place. A precept is meant to affect your choices and your behavior. It's basically all pointing back to God's law, but that might be helpful to know. Uh, verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul complies with them. So it's not just compliance or obedience, it's a heartfelt diligence. Look at verse 4. Jumping all around, but we're looking for themes here. You have ordained your precepts that we are to keep them diligently. Diligently has to do with intensity. When you set out to obey God's word, you're intense about it. And this touches on a huge misconception today. And I often bring this up because it's something that you will definitely come across. If someone like you shows determination to obey God's word, with kindness and love, of course, but if you are that person who says, I'm going to do what God says to do, you're going to be told you're being legalistic. You're a Pharisee. That is absolutely incorrect. And here's the short version. Pharisees were not wrong because they were intense about obeying God's word. They weren't obeying God. They were obeying their preferences and it was dressed up as scripture. Obedience is key to confirming your faith. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. He was very intense about it. 
He was diligent. Being diligent about obeying the scriptures isn't a flaw. It's the expectation. It's what a Christian does. Notice this. Here's David again. I hurried and did not delay to keep your commandments. There was no like, well, let me see if I can figure out why God told me to do this. There's, there's no, no wiggle room there. He says he just did it. The arrogant have forged a lie against me, and with all my heart I will comply with your precepts. So when it comes to obeying God's word, there's no hesitation. We don't wait until we get it. You've probably met people who are kind of like that. Say, well, God commanded this, but I don't quite understand it yet. So I'll figure that out first. If God's word gives us a direction, we go in that direction. Verse 59. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. So he looks at his life. Looks at what God says. Okay, I'll make that change. If the word tells us to go in a certain direction, we go in that direction. I restrain my feet from every evil way so that I may keep your word. When it comes to the word of God, there's diligence and there's also caution to make sure we're doing God's will. Um, You may have noticed in Deuteronomy that there's this phrase that keeps showing up. And uh, Deuteronomy, of course, emphasizes obeying God. Uh, It repeats the phrase, be careful. When it comes to doing God's will, be careful. No more, no less. The same concept is here in 119 of of Psalms. Therefore, I carefully follow all your precepts. I don't just kind of guess or get the gist of it. I carefully follow all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. So I'm just building here some themes that you might spot in, one, in Psalm 119. You treasure the word. If you treasure it, you're going to obey it. It's kind of silly to claim to be a Christian and not do what the Bible says to do. When you submit to God's word, when you're diligently obeying him, since his commands are driven by love, things are going to turn out well for you. It's all designed for you. It really is. There's, no, there's not one thing in the Bible that God said to do that isn't for our good. Now here's a thing, I'd be curious what you thought about this, and we probably don't have time, but I'd really genuinely be curious uh, for your thoughts about this. Here's the thing about the Bible. Uh, Just reading it isn't enough. And, And I know, if you haven't heard this before, become a daily Bible reader. Please do. You're wasting your time if you're not. You you cannot survive spiritually if you do not have a consistent relationship with the Bible. You will be deceived by false teaching. All kinds of things are going to happen if you're not into your Bible on a regular basis. But now, I'm going to tell you this, it's not enough. It'll it'll definitely help, uh, but it can end up being the same. I've seen this in myself. Say, oh, read my Bible, done, and I move on. Ask me what I read, I couldn't tell you. That's an easy trap to fall into. Daily Bible reading is essential. There's no way to maintain an accurate perception of reality without that. But something else needs to happen, ready? And it's a step that many of us Christians have yet to make. Psalm 119, 148. My, my eyes anticipate the night watches so that I may meditate on your word. Anyone who is serious about their interaction with the Word of God is going to meditate on the Word of God. Now, the subject of meditation deserves a lot more time than we have, uh, but it's very important to at least touch on it. And I know the first thing that pops in your head is the guy sitting cross-legged, you know, humming, right? Uh, That is a corruption 
of what meditation is meant to be. Uh, God came up with it first, but certain beliefs grabbed it and took it in an odd direction. But that is not what it's meant to be. Here it is in a nutshell. Um, if you leave today, or anytime you're with Christians, anytime you're talking about the Bible, if you leave going to church, if you leave the building and you're the same person as when you walked in, you're doing it wrong. If day after day, nothing about you changes, something's wrong. The expectation of Christianity is transformation. It says be transformed. That means you're not what you were. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To be transformed, it's going to take more than going to church. You know, of course it's important being with other Christians. It's going to take more than reading your Bible. Uh, we're told in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Don't get me wrong. Reading your Bible is a huge step, and it's going to help in huge ways. But there's got to be a little bit more effort to really have it be applied to your life. Reading the Bible is crucial, but that alone is not enough. To be transformed by the Word, you have to have the Word richly dwell in you. You need meditation. <clears throat> and it's not what people think it is. And that Word used to make me flinch too. Um, Whereas, you know, the meditation we've heard of is kind of a self-centered process. Uh, and the, you'll hear it is the idea is to empty your mind. Um, the real meditation was designed to focus on the word to fill your mind. It's the exact opposite. Now, there are, there are some things to be said for being mindful and in the moment and you know, working on your anxiety. But it's all to set the stage to get God's word in there. It's meant to fill your mind and it's meant to change you. And you might be thinking, I can't meditate. Who has the time? I don't have time to meditate. I don't know how to meditate. You know what? You do have time. And you do know how to do it. Because you do it all the time. All we're talking about is what you meditate on. When your mind focuses on something, that's meditation. That's really what it is. Now it's just a matter of changing what you're focused on. The Bible actually presents the assumption that anyone who has an authentic relationship with God will meditate on His Word. This is a basic, necessary concept and is presented in the very first psalm. We'll jump into the first psalm. Uh, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I've read that before, said, oh yeah, that's nice, and just kind of moved on. It says, he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. That meditate there is how it happens. All through Psalm 119. The reason I bring it up is it's all over the place. Look at this. 23. Even though rulers sit and speak against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Verse 78. May the arrogant be put to shame because they lead me astray with a lie, but I shall meditate on your precepts. And if we do have time, I am going to ask you if you have any questions about this in particular. Um, but it gets a little rougher. Okay, ready? And I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, take a look at your Bible and maybe even on your phones too. You notice how someone, Psalm 119 is divided up into several sections? Anybody know how many sections? 22. 22, nice. Anybody know why? Well, what, is, what are those little things at the beginning of each one? 
It's the Hebrew alphabet. It's the Hebrew alphabet, exactly. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, by the way, you have to read that way or this way. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's um, right to left. Uh, this, I don't know if you know this. Uh, you know what an acrostic poem is? So like if you had a poem about a tree, it'd be like the growing elf of the forest. And then and then second line starts with R, the second, and then the E, and then you look down and say, oh, it spells tree. I see what you did. That's great. This is an acrostic poem. Each section starts with, so you see that section that's called Aleph there? In the Hebrew language, that first word, of Psalm 119 and verse 1 starts with A, the Hebrew equivalent of A. The second stanza, verse 8, see that? Starts with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You know why God arranged it this way? Why would he do that? And here it is. It's kind of it's simple and it's terrifying. It's designed to be memorized. Can you imagine? The reason God set this up is to be memorized. He set it up this way. Section 1 starts with A. You're going along and say, okay, I'm verse 8. What does it start? Now, this doesn't do any good for us because we don't speak Hebrew. Uh, but I just want you to know that's what it was. And you're probably thinking, wow, 176 verses. Sure. Okay. Uh, but apparently God thinks it's doable. And here, here we go. I'll tell you another lie that we tell ourselves. I can't memorize. Uh, there's a Greek word for that. It's baloney. Uh, we, yeah, I looked it up. Everybody, everybody memorizes stuff. Everybody memorizes stuff. There's 2,300 words in the in the book in the chapter of Psalm 119. You got a lot more than that in your head. It's just what we spend our time on. It's hard. I get it. But anything that's valuable is difficult. The real wow here is that God clearly expected his people to learn this by heart and to take it to heart. Uh, the best way to meditate is to memorize. Not, and uh, let me say this as a, another side note. Uh, I think uh, nowadays or any days, we have a tendency to memorize verses for ammo. And I get the fact that we are to defend the truth. I do. But it's not just meant to be bullets to take out somebody else's argument. It's meant to change you. It's meant to become part of you and rewire your thinking. It's called neuroplasticity. There are ways that you think that can be refashioned and changed in significant ways. So the best way to meditate is to memorize. And you know what? Here's what's great. You don't have to memorize all 176 verses. I mean, you could do that as a challenge. But how about just one? Just one. Really quick, somebody just read uh, Psalm 119, I think it's verse 9. I'll tell you a good reason. It's probably the wrong one. 119, uh, verse 11, sorry. I have stored up your word in my heart so I may not sin against you. So that's a good reason. It's in my heart. To, and if it's in your heart and in your mind, be like, wait a second. Yeah, I need to clear my head. Better choices, better choices. If it's memorized, it's there, ready to go. Not so you can take out somebody else in an argument, but to help you. That's a definite plus. Um, if you can memorize even one, you're meditating. So treasure the word, obey the word, meditate on the word. I, I challenge you, even if it's a minute, word, like I say, one verse a day. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Very short, easy.
Spending time with the Bible like this is not meant to be a drudgery. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. When you remember, oh yeah, this is from the Creator. And the more you dig into the Bible, the more you'll be amazed. It's like a friendship. You know, the more you get to know the book, the more you'll want to be with it. God uh, used David to use this word, the word delight. David says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You know what I think we'd say? He would say, I get a kick out of it. It's just, I really enjoy it. And at first, it's going to not be like that. It takes time. Don't think you're the only one in the room who's like, I don't feel the delight. No, it's, it's going to happen. It takes time. Oh, how he says, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So all of this passion for something... Um, might bring this to mind. All of you have something, right? If somebody brought it up, maybe you're on a road trip, and even maybe in passing today, you bump into somebody, and they were to bring it up, you could talk about it all day long. Easy. Because you have a passion for it. There's at least one thing, I think, for everybody in this room, that if I were to bring it up, say, oh yeah, let's just talk about this forever. You weren't born with that passion. You developed it as you learned more about the subject, your delight or your passion for it grew. <clears throat> trying to think of an example to explain where I'm coming from. I prefer watching football rather than baseball. I'm sure I just made some enemies, but uh, to me, baseball is like watching practice. Uh, football, there's a bunch of stuff going on, it seems like. But I know the truth of it is just that I know more about football than baseball. I know more about it, and so I can enjoy it more. David developed a passion for God's Word. There are several verses in Psalm 119 describing David's delight for the Word, and I'll show you just a few uh, more here. Verse 24, Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my advisors. That's interesting to have advisors in your mind. Verse 47, I would delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. You see how they're all overlapping? The delight and the, and the meditation. And Look at verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my misery. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And again, I really want to make this as real as possible. This doesn't mean you're that weird guy who's just like, can't talk about, uh, who's kind of fakey, you know what I'm saying, who's always on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just a legitimate, authentic person who says, yeah, the, the Bible's amazing. It's amazing. And the more I study it, the more amazed I am. Uh, verse 167. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. Now you might think, I don't really feel that passion for the Word. Well, maybe not, but you can develop it. You know, I know good and well that if somebody sat down with me and said, here's what's going on in baseball. He's doing this. The reason that's happening, the reason that is exciting, even though you think it isn't, is because of this. And I would get it. And I would develop an interest. So you treasure the Word. You obey the word. You meditate in the word. You develop this delight. And one of the reasons you'll discover delight is when you realize the treasure it is when you see it changes your life. You see how it all kind of fits together? Something else the Bible is capable of. 
and this is this this will become more significant to you I think the older you get but I don't want to speak for you I, um, but I think this is true it can salvage the best of you I love this quote it's not from the Bible but I think it captures in essence a lot of what the Bible has to say you ready I don't even know who said it but I love this there's still time to become the person you always wanted to be I, I love that because it means uh, there's still time to become the person I always wanted to be because I make mistakes. And, and so there's this idea of like, okay, you fell down, you blew it, you made a mistake, get back up. There's this idea in Psalm 118, I'll show you this, this uh, verse here, verse 25. It says, my soul clings to the dust, revive me according to your word. That word revive means restore to life. It's kind of along the lines of CPR. They were, we lost them. Wait, we didn't. They're okay. You were gone, but then you were revived. Your life became dull and empty, but now you're alive again. That's all over Psalm 119 as well. Here's verse 37. Turn my eyes away from looking at what is worthless and revive me in your ways. Psalm 50. This is my comfort in my misery, that your word has revived me. I was kind of spiraling. I was, the days were not fun. I was letting stuff get to me. I had anxiety. I had dark thoughts. But your word kind of cleared that out for me. And it continues to do that. Verse 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. You saved me from the lesser version of me. So you treasure the word and obey the word. I think I, I can't avoid it. I think it's time to develop the time and, and effort to meditate on the Word, delight in the Word, and be revived by the Word. But the Bible can give you even more. When the Bible um, talks about the people building the tabernacle, remember they were building all the different items in the they were going to put in the temple? Uh, it describes uh, certain people as being skilled. They had a certain amount of craftsmanship. And they were described as being wise in that particular skill. I don't know if you ever caught that. It says he was wise with working with gold. And he was wise with working with you know, wood. And you probably heard the definition that wisdom is where you uh, apply knowledge. And that's a great definition. But I think it's useful to think of this other concept in the Bible. That wisdom is being talented or skilled at living life. You're really good at it. Whereas everybody else is tripping over themselves over the stupid mistakes that most people make, you're kind of dodging around those. You're, you're kind of good at it. Not because you're special on your own, but because you're listening to the Word of God. You're self, saving yourself a lot of heartache because you are skilled or wise in the way of living life. And the only way to get that kind of wisdom is from the Word of God. David points this out as well. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. Psalm 99, next verse. I have more insight than all my teachers. You can use that at school tomorrow if you're brave. Uh, for your testimonies are my meditation. Verse 100. By the way, I kind of half joke. Always show respect to those who teach you, but don't take anybody's word for the word. Uh, you check it out for yourself. There's a lot of nice, nice people who are teaching, and they are incorrect. Don't take my word for it, anybody's word for it. Uh, verse 99, verse 100. I understand more than those who are old because I have complied with your precepts. What, a, what an opportunity you have to be wise before you're old. 
Verse 130. The unfolding of your word words gives light. I love that. That's pretty poetic. It gives understanding to the simple. So here we, we got our list going. Treasure the word. Obey the word. Meditate on the word. Delight in the word. Be revived by the word. Get wisdom from the word. And by the way, I know I'm kind of going through this fast. So I'll be happy to backtrack and let you jot some of this down if you want. But all we've been talking about has to do with an, uh, a very important truth about the word. It's nothing less than perfect. It's the book. Uh, if it's not, if it's not what it claims to be, all of this crumbles. Here's a quick reminder. Second Peter 1 verse 20. And notice how he puts this, but know this first of all. In other words, pay attention to this one. But know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture, in other words, any time Scripture was delivered, becomes a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, it wasn't the writer's opinion. It wasn't his interpretation. Listen to this, verse 21. For no prophecy, that means all information from God, not just future stuff, but past, present, future. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. These are the words of God. And when God delivered His words, it was never a matter of letting Paul just kind of ramble on or Peter. Uh, the, The Bible is not made from human ideas. He used them as tools to get what he wanted down, but it was not up to their freestyle approach. It's not the words of religious guys. The Word of God contains the words of God. And God's Word is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7, even flat out says it. The law of the Lord is perfect. It doesn't say the law of the Lord is pretty good. It's almost perfect. Nowhere in Scripture does God pull any punches about this when it comes to the purity and perfection of His Word. And Psalm 119 supports this idea. It describes the word as absolute and perfect truth. Here's verse 140. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. 151. You are near, Lord, and all your commandments are truth. And then one more. 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting. So here, here's the whole, whole thing. We, we treasure the word, we obey the word, we meditate, we delight. We can be revived by the word, we can get wisdom from the word, that's a big one, and we know the word is perfect. So when all these pieces are in place... Your relationship with the Word of God, I think, will reach a whole new level. And like I say, I know a lot of you are opening your Bibles every day. But when you get this concept, this perception that He has, I think it'll be a major upgrade. I think it'll be for me. Uh, I love this. He says this, My heart stands in awe of your words. I think the more you're into it, that's incredible. Not only what this verse says, but how it ties in with this verse and this verse, and these themes and threads that run through the whole Bible. Incredible. I've often said that even if I was an atheist, I'd be incredibly amazed by the Bible. It's just an incredible book, the design of it. Just a couple more things, and I'm going to wrap it up. I want to say this. I want to emphasize this again. Run from anyone who suggests the Bible is anything less than the complete and perfect Word of God. And don't be surprised where you find people who say that. 
run from those who play the culture card and suggest the Bible's tainted by human reasoning or limitations. The Bible is a treasure. It's designed for obedience. It's designed for meditation. Yeah, I can't get around that one. It's something you can develop a delight in, something you get a kick out of. It has the capability to recover or revive you. It's the only source of true wisdom, and it's nothing less than perfect. I'm going to leave you with one more verse. And I think this is, might be a good confusion, uh, con- conclusion. Not confusion. Confusion. <laughs> and so now in conclusion, now in confusion. That was a really good confusion you had there. Uh, I trust in your word. David says this. He says, it comes down to this. I trust your word. Whatever it says, I'll do. It says not go there, I won't go there. It says to go there, I'll go there. At the very least, we should know this. You can completely trust his word. Now, I know we got two minutes. Is that correct? You can take if you want to ask a few questions. Okay. And we may be done. You know what? I know I'm, uh, lunch is breathing down our, down our necks. You never stand between people and food. So I, I'm up for wrapping it up. But I would be very curious if you have any thoughts or questions about maybe meditation in particular or anything we talked about. I genuinely am curious what's in your minds. But we can leave it at that if you want. Does anybody have any thoughts or questions about anything we talked about? All right. Sounds good. Thank you.